today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. going to be times in our lives it seems like the world is against us but you and i as believers if we truly and truly have a relationship with god and we know the greatness of who almighty god is are we going to be bold enough to say yes but my god he's a true god and he's able in this situation he's able at this time in our life to see us through this maybe it's not going to be fire that comes down but maybe it's just going to be him carrying you through a fire. Maybe it's going to be him carrying you through a flood. Maybe it's going to be him surrounding you with peace when everybody else around the world is falling apart and they don't have peace. Have you ever felt like the world is against you? In his message today, Pastor David encourages you to stand firm in the truth that your God is strong enough to carry you through any challenge. If you allow the world to bring you down and discourage you, you might not remember to cry out to God. Remind yourself that He indeed is the Almighty Powerful One and cling to His ways during hardship. He will be there to give you peace that transcends all understanding. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Kings chapter 11 as he continues his message, Lust, Greed, Rebellion, and Destruction. First Kings chapter 11, down in verse 42. And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem uh, over all of Israel was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers, was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. If Solomon was the wisest man in all the earth, his offspring, Rehoboam, was the dumbest. Okay. I mean, really and truly. You see, you've got this right thing going in, in how your dad was treating the people. But Rehoboam, he decides, well, I'm going to ask all my, all my street buddies how I really ought to be a king. He didn't seek the wise counselors of his fathers. No, he looked among his peers. And the peers tell him, hey, man, what you need to do is you, you need to really tax these people. You don't think he had enough money? Solomon died. This Rehoboam had anything and everything that he would have wanted. But yet his buddies say, oh no, tax them even more. Do you think maybe the buddies wanted a piece of the action? And so he followed after that. And so he began taxing and mistreating the people. And so the Lord raised up them. Then Jeroboam, who had actually worked with his father, and Jeroboam, along with 10 tribes, went off in rebellion against Rehoboam, and thus they formed the northern kingdom, Israel, and Rehoboam tried to maintain control over the southern kingdom of Judah. And that's where the division takes place, right after Solomon's reign. And it wasn't long before Jeroboam, the one who took the 10 tribes north, 
he led the people to build an two altars in the northern kingdom, again, so that they could worship without having to go down to the temple. Look at chapter 12, 1 Kings chapter 12, down in verse 28. Therefore, the king asked advice, and he made two calves of gold and said to the people, Ah, you know, it's far for you guys to have to go all the way down to Jerusalem to the temple down there. I'm such a good king, I tell you what. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Sounds a little bit like the story of Aaron, doesn't it? When Aaron formed this, well, I don't know, Moses, it just kind of jumped out of the fire as, as this you know, golden calf thing. And, but it was Aaron that said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of Egypt. And now here, Jeroboam, he forms these two calves. This is your God, took you out, brought you out of the land of Egypt. And even as Jeroboam led the people in the northern kingdom then into this sin of, again, continued idol worship, well, he finally dies. And then his son Nadab took his place. And during the reign of Rehoboam down in the southern kingdom, the nation continued in the southern kingdom even in idol worship. And you would think you would learn something from the sins of your father, but not in Rehoboam's case. Look at 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 22. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they had committed, more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. You gotta stop, you gotta think. Worse than all that their fathers had done for hundreds of years that they've seen, again, these these failures in in their own life. As they came out of Egypt and as they came and, and, and went through the land and Israel would rise and fall and rise and fall with all of this idol worship. And now after the nation is divided, instead of falling on their faces back at the temple where Solomon prayed and say, oh Lord, When we turn after these, if we turn back to this temple and again, turn our hearts back to you, will you hear our prayers? And God says, yes, if you turn back to me, I will hear your prayers. But instead of turning back, no, they continued in the foolishness of Solomon and Solomon's son continued to allow it to happen. And so they built all of these high places, these sacred pillars, all of these wooden images on every high hill under every green tree. And that pattern continued on both in the southern kingdom as well as in the northern kingdom. And the kings of the northern kingdom, they continued on even worse than the southern kingdom. As bad as the southern kingdom was, the ones in the northern kingdom were even worse, ever increasing wickedness. As a matter of fact, when we look at the history of the northern kingdom, they never ever had a righteous king at all. There was never, ever a king that called them to repentance, called them back to seek the one true God, Jehovah. Now, 
In the southern kingdom, I mean, it went back and forth. I mean, they had bad king and a not so bad king. I mean, they had a couple of good kings, but by and large, they had bad and and not so bad and a couple of good. From wicked to righteous, it just kind of flipped back. The bad kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, they had 19 kings in their life from the time of the split until the time that the Assyrians took them away or actually just annihilated them. 19 kings, not a one of them was good never drew them back to the Lord. And so when God destroyed that northern kingdom, they never returned again. In Judah, the southern kingdom, during the time frame from the time of Saul all the way to the time of the Babylonian captivity, they had 23 kings. Actually, for a short time, they even had one queen. But of those 23, six of them were predominantly good, and they brought about times of revival, a return to the true worship of Jehovah, and again, uh, going against all of this idol worship. But even for the good ones, there were times of doing only these partial revivals. In other words, let's clean up this part. I'm not too worried over there. It's kind of like when you and I say, you know what? I really need to repent. I really need to go back to God in this area of my life. And God says, yeah, but what about this area over here? Well, yeah, eventually I'll get there, but uh, uh, it's in this area right here. We're only partially doing it. We're not gonna have full revival. We're not gonna have full restoration. We're not gonna have the fullness of the spirit unless it's complete. Asa, one of the good kings, 40 years he reigned over Judah. In in 1 Kings chapter 15, down in verse 11. Look there with me. It says, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. He banished the perverted persons from the land. He removed all the idols that his father had made. Period, stop, die right there, Asa. Go on to the Lord, Don't, don't go any further. But the problem, that's not, that's not what happened. Verse 14 says, but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all of his days, but he did not do a complete revival. There was not a complete restoration for the nation of Judah at that time. In the northern kingdom, even as wicked as they were, it's absolutely amazing, God continued to send prophets to them. To again, tell them, you're sinning before Almighty God. You need to turn back to God. God in his love for them, even in the midst of their wickedness, God is still casting out that net, trying to draw them to himself. Such was the ministry of Elijah, the prophet. At this point in time, Ahab was the residing king of the northern tribe there of Israel. And his wife was none other than Jezebel. Jezebel. And if you've never heard about Jezebel, perhaps you've noticed not too many people name their daughters Jezebel, okay? But it is a good name for a cat, though, but uh, (laughs) just my humble opinion. Well, together, Ahab and Jezebel, they're the worst of the worst. And these two feed on each other. Because of this, They're actually the best known of all the northern kingdom's monarchs, Ahab and Jezebel. If you think, do you know any of the, can you remember? Oh yeah, Ahab and and Jezebel. 
And yet still, God sends the prophet Elijah to declare his word to these two and to the people of the northern kingdom. Now, was God thinking that maybe Ahab and Jezebel would turn? Or was he just sending Elijah there to, again, seal their their condemnation and to seal the hardness of their heart, much like Moses went to Pharaoh? Nonetheless, Elijah went and he declared the word of the Lord to the people also. And one of the best known events in the life of Ahab and Elijah happened on Mount Carmel. Elijah had already, he had already garnered the wrath of Ahab when when he prophesied that it wouldn't rain for three years. Oh, and guess what? It didn't rain for three years. And so Ahab hated Elijah. So now at the end of the three years, the Lord tells Elijah, hey, you need to go and set yourself before Ahab. And so Elijah goes down and and, and he tells Ahab, hey, I want you to meet me at Mount Carmel's OK Corral. We're going to have a shootout up here. And he says, I want you to bring your 450 prophets of Baal up there. Uh, Totally not fair odds at all. It was going to be 450 to one because, not fair odds, because what are a thousand against God? So it was still not fair odds. I don't care how many prophets of Baal, it's it's not going to be fair because God's going to tear this thing up. It wasn't fair odds, so Elijah gave the prophets of Baal first shot. They, they sacrificed their bull. They, they prayed to their God to bring down fire and, and to devour that sacrifice. The prophets of Baal, they, they cried out from morning until noon, but to absolutely no avail. And then finally, Elijah pours out in, in mockery to them, 1827. And Elijah comes to them. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud. I mean, after all, Baal is your God. Cry aloud for he is a God. Either he's meditating or he's busy. Maybe he's on a journey. Perhaps he's sleeping. He needs to be awakened. Some versions say perhaps he's relieving himself. You know, he's, he's like, you know, the, the craziness of this as he's mocking these guys. And these guys, you got to understand, they're going insane. I mean, they, they've been there all morning and they've been crying out and they've been crying out and crying out and nothing is happening. And so here it is at noon, verse 28. So they cried out aloud and they began to cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was passed, they continued to prophesy until the offering of the evening sacrifice, which is between three o'clock in the afternoon and sunset. But guess what? No one answered. There was no voice. No one paid attention. And so now Elijah, he's finished fooling around. It was now time to get down to business. Look at verse 38. And Elijah, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Verse 32, I'm sorry, that was verse 30. And then verse 32, he made a trench around the altar. He put the wood in order. He cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And then he said, now now do that again. And so they did it a second time. And then he said, now do it a third time. And so they did it a third time so much that the water ran all around the altar. He also filled the trench with water. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near 
and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You know, I don't think Elijah had to scream this out. I think these prophets of Baal, they were screaming. They they were hollering. They were trying to get their God's attention. I believe that Elijah knew that he had his God's attention. Oh, I believe that he said it loud enough that the people would be able to hear. But as he declared this, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. And you gotta realize this prayer wasn't long. This isn't one of those things that, man, you just, you just cry out and you cry out and you cry out. No, he just stated it. It wasn't long. It wasn't any elaborate prayer. He didn't have to pull every bit of theology that he knew in the midst of this prayer. He just prayed what was needed. And just as the word says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, I love it, they fell on their faces and they said, Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. I believe that they understood that that fire was way too close to them at that point in time that that fire that devoured the sacrifice and the wood and the stones as well as the water could have devoured them just that easily. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize those prophets of Baal. Don't let a one of them escape. And so they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. What an amazing change and turn of events. Ahab and Jezebel, who had brought this, that northern kingdom to the most wickedest of wicked times in their history. And now Elijah comes and with the simplicity of faith and declaring the reality and the truth of God before all these descending voices, God moved and he showed himself real. There's going to be times in our lives it seems like the world is against us. But you and I as believers, if we truly and truly have a relationship with God and we know the greatness of who Almighty God is, are we going to be bold enough to say, yes, but my God, he's a true God. And he's able in this situation. He's able at this time in our life to see us through this. Maybe it's not going to be fire that comes down Maybe it's just going to be him carrying you through a fire. Maybe it's going to be him carrying you through a flood. Maybe it's going to be him surrounding you with peace when everybody else around the world is falling apart and they don't have peace. But you're able to stand and say, you know what? I know my God is true. I know my God is real. My God is more than able. More than able. Are we able to have that kind of a relationship with him? Are we able to make that kind of declaration? When the world moves against us. Eventually the Lord took out both Jezebel and Ahab. They were both very wicked. Look what it says in chapter 21 
verse 25. It makes absolutely no doubt. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself. Gee, who do you think he sold himself to? Satan himself. He wanted power. He wanted authority. He got power. He got authority. But he also got full separation from the reality and the truth of God. There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up, both of them guilty. You would think that the people would have learned their lesson through the reign of Ahab and Jezebel. You would have think that the people of the northern tribes would have learned their lesson there at Mount Carmel. But that's not the case, either for the people or for the next king. Now, chapter 22, verse 51. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, then became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel to sin to begin with. In other words, he was the one that set up the two golden calves. Verse 53, for he served Baal and worshiped him, and he provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. And then we get to the end of First Kings, and we think, man, so Second Kings is going to be a breath of fresh air. We're going to be able to breathe. No, gang, it, it, it isn't. It, it gets worse even from there. I think every one of us know about the school of hard knocks, right? That we learn from our mistakes, hopefully. Some of us are perpetual students in the school of hard knocks. Just keep going. We just keep going because we don't learn the lessons. My wife and I used to have a saying for ourselves. It's like, you know, when we figure God is showing us something that he's shown us again. We say, man, it's one more lap around Mount Sinai for us. You know, that, that idea of it, man, we didn't learn it the first time. We're going to have to take another lap around here, figure it out. Because again, sometimes you think the clearest of lessons that we would say, I got that. I got that. But it doesn't take long for us many times to forget that, particularly when we allow our hearts, our minds to be distracted from our God and from the greatness and his might and his majesty. Gang, there's a lot of distractions out there, a lot of distractions. And it, it hits every one of us probably every, every day of our lives. It could be just the simplicity of, of, of busyness, busyness at work, busyness with family, it can be the frustrations of life that just kind of get us off track. Beloved, until we get to that point of allowing God to raise us above those things so that we can see his face in the midst of it. We're going to continue doing this battle. We're going to continue having neck aches because our necks are twisted and turned every way because of all the stuff that's going on. My prayer for me, my prayer for you, is that, Lord, you'd, you'd allow me to rise above this junk. Let me take care of the business that I need to. Let me take care of the issues that need to be taken care of. But don't let that control me. I want you to control me. That way I can do this in your power 
and in your might and not in my own strength. That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future and the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable. And I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and more.